Hello, listeners. This episode originally aired in June of 2016, and we're rebroadcasting it because it's about recent state-level challenges to workers' compensation and their net impact on the system nationwide. So stay tuned. Enjoy the episode. This is Workers' Comp Matters, hosted by attorney Alan S. Pierce, the only legal talk network program that focuses entirely on the people and the law in workers' compensation cases. Nationally recognized trial attorney, expert, and author, Alan S. Pierce is a leader committed to making a difference when workers' comp matters. Welcome to the Legal Talk Network and Workers' Comp Matters. This is Alan Pierce, your host. I'm an attorney at the law firm of Pierce, Pierce, and Napolitano in Salem, Massachusetts. Before we get started, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Case Pacer, practice management software dedicated to the busy trial attorney. To learn more, go to casepacer.com. And PI Now, find a local qualified private investigator anywhere in the United States. Visit pinow.com to learn more. Well, in today's edition of Workers' Comp Matters, I am pleased to have uh, with us Jennifer Wolf-Horsch. Jennifer is the executive director of the IAIABC, which is the International Association of Industrial Accident Boards and Commissions. Jennifer works with the IAIABC community to advance the efficiency and effectiveness of workers' compensation systems throughout the world. She connects with industry professionals from around the globe to identify emerging issues, develop resources, and reinforce the social purpose of workers' compensation programs. Jennifer has authored numerous articles on workers' compensation management and top regulatory topics. She's presented on the history, foundations, and structure of workers' compensation. And you can hear her perspective on workers' comp during the IAIABC's monthly podcast, Accidentally. Jennifer manages a staff of five and works closely with the IAIABC Board of Directors. She's a graduate of the University of Kansas, and her degree is put to good use with baking experiments in her free time. You were a chemistry major, were you not? I was a chemistry major. How I found myself into work comp is, I guess, you know, it's, it's one of those things that I, it was just a happy accident. Well, welcome to our podcast of Workers' Comp Matters. And Jennifer, uh, tell us a little about the history and origins of the IAIABC. I know it, you just recently celebrated your centennial. Yes, we did, Alan. It's it's really, I want to say thank you. It's a pleasure to be talking with you this afternoon. You did a great job with the IAIABC. It's something that doesn't easily roll off of the tongue. Um, but the IAIABC was founded 102 years ago when workers' compensation was really at its infancy in the United States. And a group of state workers' compensation regulators started corresponding, and they realized that there would be a great benefit to learning from one another. And so they got to together in a meeting in Lansing, Michigan in April 1914. And um, from that meeting, they formed the National Association of Industrial Accident Boards and Commissions. And the following year, they welcomed several provinces from Canada, and they rebranded in the International Association. Um, And so for over 100 years, we've been bringing together policymakers and regulators to talk about a more effective and efficient 
regulatory and administrative processes and policies and procedures in workers' compensation. About how many members do you folks have? So we have um, 47 U.S. jurisdictional members, and we also have jurisdictional members from Australia, Asia, Canada, and Europe. And we also have about 150 associate members, and our associate members represent organizations that serve the workers' compensation industry. So we have insurers, we have self-insured employers, we have medical management vendors and uh, law firms and technology vendors. So um, we have a very diverse associate membership. And how long have you been with the IAIABC or in fact in the workers' comp field? So I started with the IAIABC in 2001. I started as a an office assistant, and I did take a seven-month break in 2006. Um, I, I left the organization and found myself missing workers' compensation in the industry and so came back. So I've been here for... It sounds crazy, but 15 years, and I really have to say that I think workers' compensation is one of those industries that not many people outside know about it, but once you you start learning about it, I think um, I got, and I think a lot of professionals, you sort of get sucked into it. And so I have kind of worked my way up through the organization, and I became the executive director in 2012. One of the reasons I asked you that question is I think we both know and probably our listening audience knows that workers' compensation is first and foremost sort of a local issue or a local area of a body of knowledge, and on the national level, there really isn't a lot of the same issues uh, that we see on the state level, but in the all the years I've been involved in workers' comp, which is uh, a bit more than yours, I, I'm going to guess you would agree with me that perhaps for the last two or three years, workers' compensation has really started a national conversation. Uh, there have been a variety of issues that have arisen that have affected a lot of state jurisdictions, and a lot more state jurisdictions are concerned. So as a result of that, I know that the IAIABC recently, I believe in April of 2016, hosted the first of perhaps several national conversations of workers' comp. And could you sort of give us an idea what brought you folks together to do that? Yeah, Alan, I think I will say I agree with you that workers' compensation here in the United States, because it is, you know, regulated and administered on a state level, it really is sort of in the domain of the states and it has for many years been a state and local issue, but it's a very interesting time to be in workers' comp, I think, and there are... I think a much more interest from a national level, and I know that the members of the IAIBC are really interested in talking about work comp from a national level, and I think there's several reasons for that. I think, um, you know, as you and I know, I'm sure the listeners of, of this show have heard, there's been some 
sort of criticism of workers' compensation um, from a national perspective in the sort of more general press. And I think there's also just been a lot of changes in our economy. There are changes in our workforce and our workplace. Um, There's changes in the kinds of injuries and illnesses that workers today are experiencing. And I think that that's really motivating a need to understand and to reevaluate what workers' compensation means to our employers and employees here in the United States. And because of that, the IIBC really felt that it was important for us to get together stakeholders across the industry. So regulators, you know, employers, labor representatives, attorneys, uh, self-insured employers, and, and everyone who is a part of the work comp industry and talk about what it is that we um, believe are the objectives of workers' compensation and what are the opportunities that we have to meet those objectives more effectively in the future. And that was really the catalyst for the national conversations on the future of workers' compensation. We held our first conversation in Santa Fe in April, and we had about 100 people there. And these sessions are structured as discussion sessions. So So let me stop you right there, Jennifer, because I want to get into a little more detail. But for those of you who listen to Workers' Comp Matters or study the area at all, I think, and Jennifer, you've been watching this as well. I would say within the last 12 months, we have seen an investigatory journalist company known as ProPublica in association with National Public Radio has published a series of articles which I would say are critical of of workers' compensation generally. We have seen the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, OSHA, issue a a report on cost shifting in workers' comp. We have seen some constitutional challenges to the workers' compensation systems in various states as being perhaps so deformed in their benefit structures so as to render certain provisions unconstitutional. And perhaps the single greatest lightning rod has been the proponents of a system of alternatives to workers' comp known generically as opt-out. It's a a movement to allow employers to take themselves out of the state-regulated workers' compensation system, and that has been adopted in Oklahoma, has recently been declared unconstitutional, and is working its way through the courts and in other jurisdictions it's been proposed. So with that setting, was opt-out among the major topics that came out of your national conversation in Santa Fe? Absolutely, Alan, and I think you just gave a, a great summary of all of the forces that are are really influencing workers' compensation and that have people talking. And certainly opt-out in Oklahoma and proposals in Tennessee and South Carolina were on the minds of the IAIBC membership and definitely were discussed in the national conversations in Santa Fe. I think our membership believes that, you know, opt-out presents challenges 
And we really wanted to understand what really does it mean. Um, as you know, Alan, probably you've, um, you guys, and I know through affiliations with other organizations, have looked into opt-out. But one of the key assertions of kind of the opt-out proponents is that employer benefit plans provide equal or better coverage to workers' compensation. And the IIBC really wanted to understand what that meant and to analyze what impact that might have on employers and employees and injured workers. And with that in mind, we commissioned earlier this year an analysis of of opt-out and uh, recently issued a report, which you can find on the IAIABC website. And it, I think, definitely demonstrates that equal to or better is it sounds good in talking points, but it's not necessarily the truth when you look at the benefits that are offered in these employer-designed benefit plans. Yeah, and I think that was the focus of at least the initial ruling of the Oklahoma Industrial Commission in finding that these programs upon closer inspection do not really uh, meet the advertised results of equal treatment. And I believe the Oklahoma Supreme Court will be hearing oral argument and accepting briefs on whether or not the Oklahoma opt-out statute will remain as is or whether it will reappear in some other form. So your report is available. Is it available online on the IABC website? Do you need any particular password to get in, or is it pretty much available if you just log in? Um, You know what? If it's possible, Alan, I will send you and the Legal Talk Network a link, um, a direct link to that report, and hopefully you can get that out. But if you go, it's on the homepage of our website, and if you create a, a login and user name, which doesn't require any payment, it's free to the public, but you can get it through the website as well. Okay, so at the end of the uh, podcast, you can perhaps give the uh, link. We're going to uh, take a short break, and when we come back, we will continue our discussion with Jennifer Wolf-Horsch. Be right back. CasePacer is the leading practice management software for today's workers' comp and plaintiff's attorney. Named one of the fastest-growing companies in America by Inc. Magazine, We've given attorneys and their staff the ability to work from anywhere on any device. By automating workflows and streamlining non-revenue generating tasks, CasePacer enables firms to grow their practice at minimal cost. To see CasePacer in action, contact us today at CasePacer.com. Does your law firm need an investigator for a background check, civil investigation, or other type of investigation? PINow.com is a -a one-of-a-kind resource for locating investigators anywhere in the U.S. and worldwide. The professionals listed on PINow understand the legal constraints of an investigation, are up-to-date on the latest technology, and have extensive experience in many types of investigation, including workers' compensation and surveillance. Find a pre-screened private investigator today. Visit www.pinow.com. Welcome back to Workers' Comp Matters with my guest, Jennifer Wolf-Horsch. We're talking about the International Association of Industrial Accident Boards and Commissions 
And I can't believe twice in a row I was able to say that without getting my tongue tied. Uh, Jennifer, um, <laughs> how do you guys refer to yourselves informally? Is it the IA? Yes, we call ourselves the IA. And in fact, that was one of the first questions I had when I was um, just starting out is, do, how do I answer the phone? And, and we, we say the IA or the International Association. All right. You know what? We're going to turn to a feature of Workers' Comp Matters we haven't done in a while. We call it Case of the Day. And I'm I, not intentionally putting you on the spot, Jennifer, but you and I both know that workers' compensation cases are well, often tragic, often uh, life-changing, but there are certainly unusual fact patterns that emerge. And in all my years of comp, I think what's kept me interested is the endless supply of variations of how people unfortunately get hurt at work. So I want to describe a case to you and ask if you can predict how this case came out in court. So Jennifer, I'm going to talk about a case that originated in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. And it involved a woman who had been hired under a state-funded program to provide attendant care services for her adult son who was ill and disabled. And she was being paid. She was an employee of this program. And what happened was, while she was asleep, her son brutally attacked her, presumably as a result of some type of drug dependency, had never shown signs of violent behavior before, and seriously injured his mother. She applied for workers' compensation benefits on the grounds that she was injured. However, the insurer took the position that because she was sleeping and she was not actually performing her work services and caring for her son, that at the time of the attack, she was not covered by workers' comp. How would you say that came out? Should she have gotten workers' comp or not? Mm. Well, that Alan, that's a great case, and I guess it just demonstrates the complexity of workers' compensation, because I think I could try to argue for both ways. I would say that if I were arguing for her to not get benefits, I would say, what were her normal working hours? Did she have a set schedule? And what schedule was traditionally set? And if she was sleeping, was that considered on or off the job? However, you know, because she was caring for him, it sounds like probably most of the time, I guess I I would say say that she, that the um, insurance company um, that denied the benefits was sort of reversed through the dispute resolution process and that um, they found that the injury was compensable. Well, the answer is you are correct on just about every, every ground. Actually, the insurance company denied the claim and the State Workers' Compensation Appeal Board denied the claim. The case went into the appellate courts, and a divided appellate court in Pennsylvania ruled that she was indeed entitled to workers' comp, and they applied a rule called the bunkhouse rule to support an award of benefits. They felt that under that rule that even though she was sleeping and not performing actual services, her duties as an attendant care placed her in that position to be injured and, in fact, in a highly divided case, she was ultimately awarded benefits. So uh, your instincts were indeed correct. Well, Alan, that's 
I think that that, as I mentioned, I think that that's an interesting case and it's an interesting study. It says a lot about the work comp system that there's a lot of complexity and subtlety in it, which I think draws people in. Oh, absolutely. And this case could have been brought in any other jurisdiction and could have had uh, different results. And that's what makes workers' comp fascinating, both as an observer and as an advocate for one side or the other. So speaking of advocacy, you you know, you folks discussed opt-out in what you call a national conversation. Do you have any other national conversations scheduled? And if so, what are your future topics going to be? Um, yes, we actually have a national conversation scheduled in conjunction with the upcoming Central States region, the which is in a couple weeks here in Madison, Wisconsin, where the IAIBC is headquartered. And I think in that national conversation, we're really going to focus on what are the things that workers' compensation is doing well, and what are the opportunities to learn from um, states and, and more successful programs. And we will be hosting a national conversation at the IAIABC's convention, uh, which is in September in Portland, Maine. And I'm not sure what we'll focus on there, but I know that it will really feed and learn from the national conversations that have been hosted previous. And I know that a couple of states are planning to hold conversations of their own in their jurisdictions to try to stimulate the dialogue amongst stakeholders and say, even though there are challenges present in the system, what can we do to address them and, and to really make the system work uh, to the benefit of employers and employees? Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And you and I, I uh, we met perhaps two or three weeks after the national conversation in Santa Fe. There was another similar summit, uh, so to speak, in Dallas, in which there were about 40 stakeholders, and you were representing the IABC, and I was representing the Workers' Injury Law and Advocacy Group. I understand Professor John Burton and Professor Emily Spieler and others will be hosting another such conversation at the Roscoe Pound Civil Justice Institute in Camden, New Jersey, in September and between now and then, we can expect to hear from various appellate courts around the country with various decisions that are expected on all of these issues. So it's been an interesting year. It's going to be an interesting few years coming up. We have a change in administrations. We have a lot that's going on in the field of workers' comp, all of which are going to impact our clients, whether they are employers, insurers, injured workers, or the medical community. So Jennifer, on behalf of Workers' Comp Matters, I want to thank the IA for all it does to advance the knowledge, scholarship, and study of Workers' Comp, and I want to particularly thank you for being an entertaining and informative guest on Workers' Comp Matters. So for those of you listening, uh, if you want further information, Jennifer, give us the website address for your organization. You can find more about the IA on our website, which is IAIAB. C.org. And um, the opt out paper that I referred to earlier, as well as many other resources on workers' compensation, are available online. Great. And thank you. And on behalf of Legal Talk Network on Workers' Comp Matters, this is Alan Pierce telling you to go out and make it a day that matters. Thanks for listening to Workers' Comp Matters today on the Legal Talk Network, hosted by attorney Alan S. Pierce where we try to make a difference in workers' comp legal cases for people injured at work.
Be sure to listen to other Workers' Comp Matters shows on the Legal Talk Network, your only choice for legal talk. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.